In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast i hope everybody's having a beautiful day i got an incredible guest for you today uh usually i would be talking to this gentleman off in europe somewhere in one country over there he's always moving around but today we got him live from san francisco the one and only yakem five beer the ceo of april 19th he's in san francisco in the mix of all of it right there. We're going to get to figure out what he's up to. Uh, we're going to talk about some latest magazine articles and the future of AI and drug design. I'm so excited. Yakim, thank you for being here today. What are you doing in San Francisco, my friend? Oh, George, you know, um, yeah, great honor actually to be here. I mean, I always love to talk to you and it's just like uh, this, this cool space um, where we unwrap the... Um, super and super interesting uh, layers of the psychedelic scene and now even AI getting into that. It's just um, always, always great to be here. And so uh, what brings me to the US and San Francisco is the On Deck Founders Program. So it's just like more, it's mostly about community and uh, also educating people like to be able to run their own uh, companies. And it's basically um, now a first time after COVID in uh, real life. So it's been, you know, virtual for a very long time. And now it consists of like a month of um, different events and workshops about how to fundraise, how to, you know, do all the things, uh, startups and uh have so there's this space where i'm now in it's in south park san francisco it's like a co-working space where people just get together mingle and and and, and find co-founders and you know scheme how to build their huge ideas <laughs> so yeah that, that's that's why i'm here 
and it's awesome to be here. Yeah, congratulations on that. It sounds like an incredible place to do networking, to be around like-minded people that have similar passions. And, you know, I, I could imagine that there's a lot of camaraderie that's built there. And what a, what a great place to, to be at right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely can recommend, even though it's more of a generalist thing. So um, I'm kind of like a specific niche of, you know, with April 19, we're designing all the psychedelics with AI and it's just like combination of so many things at one. Uh, so, but I can bake with people who do healthcare, some people right. do AI, some people do, you know, all these things. So it's just kind of like um, finding different people to talk to and uh, everyone can give you something. So yeah, it's good. Does there seem to be a common thread there of like, it's like, if you look at the general population, it seems that the headlines are flooded with all these different ideas about open AI or, you know, uh, general AI and all, all these topics around AI. And I know that you're into that. Is that seem to be a thread that's running through the makerspace or the on deck area that you're in right now? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's like a threat. I would say it's just like one of the main trends. Uh, mm. So these people that are here, I would say that the main threat is just these kind of um, slightly uh, crazy, you know, moonshot personalities yeah. <laughs> trying to trying to you know play it big, and uh, a lot of them obviously see that AI is going to change a lot of things. So so they're they're trying to you know incorporate it into their um, ideas in one way or another. Um, yeah, which is completely understandable. It's just it's just this big revolution. It's it's going to. Um, change the way we work and how companies, you know, are able to do stuff uh, in a more automated way. It just, you know, um, much more efficient way that that we we're not able to uh, reach previously. So yeah, it's it's a big it's a big theme here. Um, but generally, the uh, community just it's selecting people based on um, the the things that they've built and that they have the capacity to build great things. And also about the spirit of service, I would say just, you know, it should be a community where the giving comes first. So it's just not like, okay, like everyone's just working on their own idea and just, you know, uh, trying to get as much, you know, information from the others, but so that the people would share um, whatever expertise they have, whatever, you know, tips and tricks uh whatever you know hardships they overcome and stuff like yeah. that and and that really that really you know um you can actually see here they have like a an admissions process where they you know select you know from over a thousand people just you know 120 uh so to to be here and it's um yeah it it, it they really uh done a good job to to get really great people here yeah well it, it seems like it it from you know, I'm not even sure where I'm going to take the wheel right here, but how about this? April 19th, Bicycle Day, a great company. You had a, th that day you become the CEO of a company. Like so much happened on that day, right? Like throughout history, throughout your life. What a great day. So let's just focus on the aspect of April 19th. Like what is April? Well, let's start off with what April 19th, the day means to you. And then we can move into what the company has got going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Well, I see that April 19th um, is this 
almost like a mystical moment that created this modern age myth. Um, it's, um, and there's actually people, you know, analyzing it from a religious perspective and, and it has a lot of things going on with, with other, you know, old age legends. And, um, so to those who don't know what happened is that Albert Hoffman, uh, in Switzerland has been working on these, uh, new, new medicinal drugs. And, um, one day I think it was 16th, uh, April, he, you know, just through manipulation, he managed to get a bit of, you know, LSD onto him, into him. I don't know what happened exactly, but, um, he felt this slight intoxication. I was like wondering, wow, is that, could that be it? Could, that have such effects in such small dose. And so he tried like what he thought was like very little amount. And <laughs> to his credit, it was, it was like 250 micrograms. Uh, so yeah, he, he tried to um, basically drink it in a water solution. And then he just experienced like a very strong trip, you know, like 250, it's like a, it's like a pretty, uh, good dose, yeah, I would say. totally. <laughs> and um, they um, didn't have cars, they couldn't use cars because this was wartime, and so they uh, had to take a bicycle to ride home with his assistant. And so he had this really crazy experience, uh, riding a bike home, <laughs> uh, totally tripping out. and didn't know what was going on really and he had all these visions and all these distortions and everything and and that was basically the story uh of a bicycle day and and the the, the implications of that story run so deep into you know our entire culture i mean i could talk about you know how lsd has shaped um just you know the culture here in san francisco you know yeah. the hippie culture and everything yeah. is like massive right and you know, it was political and it was just, you know, anti-war movements and, and just like really, really massive stuff going on as a, almost a direct consequence of, of experimenting uh, with LSD here in research institutions. So, um, and yeah, that was this thing that, you know, they have taken it to be a medicine at the get-go and they were uh, sending it out to research institutions all across the world and in, in Czech Republic also. There was like um, a lot of people doing different experiments for uh, therapy, uh, for different um, mental disorders, for addiction, and just, you know, basic research into like psychoses. They first call it like a psychotomimetic. So they're just uh, approaching it in a way that this compound can replicate some of the positive symptoms of psychosis. So uh, they were just, you know, doing different experiments with that, not even in uh, just therapy, but generally, and also in the nature of consciousness and, and other things. And um, really what's interesting about this is that um, when this was, when this happened, 1943, we had no idea about what serotonin receptors were, what serotonin was doing in the brain, what kind of like role it played. And only after 
the psychomimetic effects of LSD were discovered. Some other researchers, some uh, years later, um, have you know connected that serotonin is found within the brain. Serotonin is similar to LSD, and LSD is doing these you know weird effects on you know mental health and 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 perception and so on. So they have actually connected serotonin to play a role within you know mental health disorders and psychosis. And that actually kickstarted the entire drug design of all those different drugs like right. um, antidepressant, antipsychotics, and uh, a range of other, you know, what we now consider to be like classic treatments. And those are, you know, I dare to say hundreds of billions uh, of, uh, of, of drugs uh, that, that is working on the serotonin system. And that was yeah. actually started by that one trip uh it's you know it's gargantuan it's so amazing to think of and and when i'm glad that you were able to paint that story because i I didn't even understand how how gargantuan that that moment was i've and when you said it's there's almost a religious connotation to it. I've never th- stopped for a moment to think about what a modern day myth would look like or how a modern day myth would begin to manifest itself. But that is clearly the beginnings of a mythology that could be celebrated for a long time to come. And it, when you start thinking about it, like it's kind of amazing to think that you could play a part in that mythology, right? Like, and like that, that's kind of amazing. Isn't that crazy? Like that's what you guys are doing. It's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, but I mean, um, we're kind of piggybacking this. All of us, all <laughs> of just, us. Yeah. But a, a walk-on part on the war is better than a lead role in a cage, right? True. <laughs> that's that's true. So how does it? Um, so so they go from like we go from this idea of serotonin to SSRIs, and then we find ourselves in a world today where there's a lot of research coming out to say SSRIs. Mm, kind of like a placebo, like they're not really as good as we thought they were. I'm not saying they don't work for some people and they haven't brought health or situations that make people's lives better, but it almost seems that this particular new movement going forward with, with you know, especially psychedelics, that we're beginning to see new treatments coming out. We're beginning to see, you know, maybe this is a good segue into the Spanner magazine. Maybe we could talk a little bit about this article that was uh, in Spanner magazine written by Chelsea Rixton, doctors, drug dealers, or AI, who will win the race to treat dementia? I think that you're featured in this one. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So I'd like to just make this transition yeah. that I've talked about um, the role that serotonin played in all those different um, um, pathologies within the brain and mostly in mental health. And uh, there's like a distinction. So obviously a certain plays some role, but humans have, you know, um, for various reasons, jumped to very quick conclusions about how much they understand about this. And the, uh, the short story is that they didn't understand uh, much <laughs> when, uh, when, de- when designing these drugs, they were just, you know, like shooting from the hip, uh, most of the time, and, you know, okay. Had some effects and, and, uh, the role with SSRIs you've been talking about, it was like, 
they've seen some effects and they've seen some results and then you know they made the connection um to be almost you know as how to say it um so simple that it could really be communicated to the layman and to really people who were the actual patients the, the the recipients and and they came up with this idea that you know you don't have enough of serotonin in your synapses you have low serotonin and these ssris they're just you know through these mechanisms blocking their uptake inhibition just increasing the amount of serotonin in your brain and um even without the reptic inhibition and all these things, you know, just basically saying, hey, yeah, you have low serotonin. That's why I have depression. It's <laughs> going to increase your serotonin. Now you're, yeah, you're feeling good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and it's, a, it's just so simple and so effective. And that's why it's sold so well. And and that's why, you know, SSRIs were, uh, were so successful in depression and so on. Uh, well, the reality is that there are so many large scale trials where SSRIs were no better than placebo. And it was just this ridiculous um, moment sometimes where, you know, okay, so SSRIs were taken as a standard of care. And then some people try to make something better than SSRIs. And then you, you, you do a clinical trial and, you know, the SSRIs don't work actually. And your other, your other drug, you know, may not work or may work, <laughs> whatever. But, you know, you're just... You just have this, you know, standard of care, and it's it's actually shit. <laughs> and that happened. It happened a lot of times. So it's like um, it, it was always like questioned this, you know, hypothesis that uh, SSRIs, you know, are are just targeting the mechanism of depression or what's causing it. And uh, and lately, you know, as we understand much more, this has been really questioned from different uh, angles. And um, yeah, it's much more leaning towards the hypothesis that uh, depression and other, other things are being caused by pathological um, configuration of our brain pathways and what we've kind of built up to be our um, thought patterns and ways of you know processing information and thinking about things and, and when when we when we arrive to some you know dysfunctional ones and we kind of internalize them we kind of make them stronger we make them automatic then that 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 leads to depression and so um that's why psychedelics by being able to kickstart neuroplasticity can have such a such mm. a great effect and uh turning over to the spanner article um and what we're doing with april 19 is like we're thinking that psychedelics can go even further and not just change and help us heal or, or make right the pathways uh, that correspond to thought patterns and so on that are cause of mental health disorders. But we think they might be useful in actually healing even the brain damage by neurodegeneration. And uh, this has been kind of like really strongly, um, you know, a strong validation was coming from this case study um, that actually um, was shared uh, by Adam Tapp. He has his own podcast, Tapped Into Psychedelics. And I've, um, uh, my episode uh, talking with him is coming up, but yeah. uh, he, he basically has this like super interesting s 
story with his father and you know he asks everyone to share that so that's why we've done the article um he uh, his father basically was over a period of 10 years slowly declining with its cognitive abilities and slowly getting worse you know forgetting things and when it got to a point where he was really like repeating the same question like 20 times and it's just very very dysfunctional um they uh, diagnosed him and it was classic alzheimer's positive for tau protein and you know doctors say it's been it's about six months until he needs to be in a long-term care facility and so that's when you know adam was like okay uh so there's not much to lose right so uh, let's try at least something that you know uh he's had experience with uh having healing properties uh, personally um and a lot of experiences uh so adam tap is like he's eaten 42 grams of mushrooms with his <laughs> life each eating 42 grams is like wow <laughs> i can't imagine yeah. i can't imagine <laughs> so he he's the expert yeah right uh, but 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 they tried microdosing psilocybin it was it wasn't doing much uh it's mushrooms uh but then because um he has seen some uh, preclinical studies on neuroplasticity um with 5-meo dmt and having a bit more you know more complex effects on neuroplasticity and uh, that that's what we're focusing on with april 19 by the way so um he tried to you know microdose that but it's not bioly orally bioavailable so he needed to make a nasal spray and even though um it was a bit difficult because you know as, as a nasal spray it's like a very intense even in low doses and it produces this you know body body load and then you know kind of it's like you're not fully on tripping but your feelings like slightly uh, this is the come up and you know right. for, for a, a person going through severe you know neurodegeneration it's um was a bit tricky, but they persevered dosing twice a day for, uh, and after four months, um, uh, they've done this reassessment. It was just because it's slowly getting better. And he's just like this amazing improvement in, in cognitive skills. He just, you know, um, his cognitive score test went from 53 to 83 out wow. of a hundred in the Edinburgh scale. And, um, Basically, then he, he he slowly got better. He started, you know, play cards with them, play guitar, started seeing his grandkids, and and, and essentially like being healed of Alzheimer's. He's just like it's like a normal old person now. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, like we've never seen any kind of anything close to that in treating right. Alzheimer's. It just slows it down, and it only slows it down when it's the very early stages, but this was actually kind of advanced. So the implications of this, if we could replicate this, obviously it's just one case study. So I'm just always taking um, caution to make some, you know, um, you know, uh, sweeping generalizations. <laughs> that that um, this, this could be, this could be huge. And um, really what, maybe the mechanism of action behind this it's that as your um neurons die out in this neurodegeneration through some different cause um for example in uh, alzheimer's it's the buildup of uh, faulty folded proteins um then 
in a normal like living brain uh, the surviving neurons kind of make more connections between themselves to take up the function of the dead neurons mm. that's what happens in a healthy brain but when the you know speed of the neurons dying um, gets um, you know too fast you know this you, you don't you don't have enough time for for these neurons to to take over and by increasing neuroplasticity of these neurons so the rate at which these neurons branch out and make connections make synaptic connections between themselves this actually you know is faster than the the rate of the neurons dying and so you're able to kind of build out these pathways and restore function even when in the places where the neurons are, are have already died out and and that is just like it makes you know sense yeah. so it's just like it's possible that we we've seen the effect there's a possible explanation for that and 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 then there's this like execution of like how do we get this to patients and and you know how do we ensure that this is like a um reliable treatment for patients right so um and that also lies within the structure of five male dmt it's connected to the tolerance buildup um but there's other things i don't want to really go too deep into this right. i'm happy to you know uh, talk to anyone who reaches out but one of the big things why psilocybin didn't work and 5-MeO-DMT did work is that 5-MeO-DMT does not cause as uh, a rapid tolerance buildup as psilocybin mm -hmm. so if you were to do psilocybin the same dose you know every day slowly you know the the effect is going to decrease and that's because it causes B-direction recruitment and receptor um, downregulation. Basically, um, it's just reducing the population of your serotonergic 5-HT2A neuroreceptors. And uh, they don't have enough time to renew. You have to wait a couple of days. You know, that's why the microdosing regimens have some uh, free days between them. And uh, 5-MeO-DMT does not do that, and DMT also doesn't. So um, for some reason, it's really based on their structure. They don't cause as much of a beta arsenal recruitment, and they can be dosed, you know, um, there's just very short-term tolerance for like an hour with DMT for not, not much longer with 5-MeO-DMT. So that you can really do like twice a day, and you can have this constant effect over months that's just continually driving the, the, the neuroplasticity and so on. And uh, this is probably crucial. I mean, there's this, you know, a downside to that, that DMT and 5-MeO-DMT are very short half-life. And, and that's, that's just like you need to, like with DMT, it would be pretty hard if you were to smoke it or you would have to, you know, do some, you know, ayahuasca kind of thing, which is, you know, that has other effects on your digestion and, and other systems in your brain. So not very good for, you know, for vulnerable neurodegeneration patients. And, and, and you know, so um, in the ideal world, you would have a thing that would last long, be orally bioavailable. You could just eat it once a day with your other pills, supplements, and, and just... Um, and just you know have this constant effect and and 
this is what we're focusing on with April 19. Just, you know, we, we think there's just completely reasonable to do it, especially with the AI and drug design that we have, you know, now it's super powerful. Um, it's just about optimizing some properties of those uh, compounds and, and how they bind, how, how they metabolize and how they absorb. And, and that's what we've done with so many compounds in different other classes before it can be done with this as well. Um, yeah, just, um, just need some time and money. <laughs> <laughs> it's man. It brings a smile to my face and I'm so happy to hear. I'm so happy, um, to hear that story and to see that people are taking, you know, the idea of solving Alzheimer's seriously. It seems for so long, it was like this black hole of things. There's nothing we can do. And I'm curious though, like, you know, there's often a thing that says like, how do you manage what you can't measure? Is there some neurofeedback imaging that shows some of these, these neurodegenerative diseases getting better? Or obviously you can tell when someone is able to play guitar who a few months ago was continually telling the same story or forgetting the same name. So we can see that as a measurement. But are there other ways to measure like a QEEG machine or is there some kind of neuroimaging that would go along with measuring this? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you should ask, but it's a really great question. And um, it's interesting that uh, there was a person here at on tech and uh, she had a lot of experience in health tech. And like, this was her first question, right? Did, did, did you make brain images? Did you make brain scans? <laughs> yeah, like, not, not really. But you know, if, you, if, you, if you did brain scans, then that would be something, you know, then, then that would be like a confirmation, right? And, and so, yes, um, actually, there is, um, um, there's uh, different ways how to see the degree of neurodegeneration play out uh, within, the, within the human brain. Uh, the, as in Alzheimer's, you know, how to see the, uh, the deposits of uh, those faulty, uh, fo badly folded proteins. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the, this function of the connections um, on the higher level. So yeah, um, I guess that would be something really interesting for researchers to look into. Um, the um, for me, so I see that you know five mayo DMT is obviously something to definitely go after in neurodegeneration. Like this is like available here. Let's 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 just do it. Um, and I mean. If anyone from Beckley SciTech is uh, listening to this, mm -hmm. um, they are so they're developing nasal spray with five mo DMT, but they're doing like much higher dosages, mm -hmm. and the indication is a depression. Mm -hmm. and so it's just a, a still psychedelic as the psychotherapy, and I would like to tell them that you know they should just pivot towards <laughs> and, and 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 focus on that instead. Um, yeah, and the, the, the idea is that, um, I would really like to just go with 5-Neo-DMT, um, but, um, what I know is that it is super hard to get, um, an unpotentable and, you know, already, you know, broadly patented, uh, 
thing uh, to to the market. So just like us, we would not be able to raise funding to do that. So you know, backlist side they can, and we understand as a company that um, it's like almost uh, assured that uh, five mode DMT is going to be first in class for these uh, for the for this you know uh, for these indications. But um, long term game, it's not going to be you know best in the class it's because exactly you know this is just you know nasal spray and you know they are not even sure like okay this is an open question right. whether uh, what what they're developing is basically a nasal spray but in an inpatient setting with like controlled setting with a therapist that's out there to assist right and so what happens to be kind of like what we don't know is whether it will be safe enough to be used in the lower dosages in outpatient setting mm -hmm. because you know there are these you know uh, acute psychedelic effects especially the nasal spray is like the fastest way to your brain <laughs> and it's like yeah it gets where it's supposed to go but it just gets there like really quickly and really you know um really there's just this bump with the psychedelic effects and and instead of something which you would like to have it's just like slow onset of you know slow effect you know constant effect um to 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 heal uh the brain over a long term so um Well, it looks like we lost him for a moment, but he'll be back shortly, I believe. It's fascinating to think about the ways in which psychedelics can have ways to heal the brain. And for those who are just listening, the article is from a Spanner magazine. And it's a fascinating article that talks about a gentleman who was able to pretty much cure his neurodegenerative diseases. And I want you to think about everybody here probably knows someone who has gone through it, was going through it, or has gone through it. And think about <clears throat> how much destruction that does to the family. When you see somebody you loved who can no longer remember the things that they loved, it's heartbreaking, it's heart-wrenching, and especially for the person that's going through it. If you look at the communities we live in and the countries we live in, the aging demographics proves that this is going to become an epidemic in the future unless we figure out ways to make it better. And I think what the people like Yachem and AI or April 19th and Beckley and the world people in the world of psychedelics are doing is they're finding real connections that can in fact begin to solve these problems. But I think it goes much deeper than that. I think what we're going to see is a move from healing to optimizing. And I want everyone just to take a moment to think about that. What is the difference between healing and optimizing? Healing kind of has this idea that you're sick, you're not well, and then when you heal, you get back to a baseline. Optimization has this similar feel, but you go from baseline to better. And so <clears throat> I don't think it's too far of a stretch to see these technologies, to see these substances being rolled out into the world of healing, into the world of medicine, 
and you begin to see people getting better. But I think you're going to see a step up from healing into optimization. And we had previously talked about doing brain scans to show the way in which the neuroplasticity is happening, to show what ways in which the, the brain is functioning. And that's good. But those are mostly something that's needed for insurance companies, clinical trials, and things like this. I think that the ultimate proof in any sort of example like this might be the warm, healthy, happy tears of the loved ones. And what I mean by that is imagine seeing somebody you loved who's suffering from a neurodegenerative disease and then see them get better. For a lot of us, you know, it's it, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And if you've had someone in your life that had suffered from this, you know it's this slow death, like you're watching somebody die even though they still have a heartbeat. You're watching somebody die even though they can still have a voice. And I think that the promise of these types of psychedelics, especially the, the AI-driven psychedelic drug design, which Yahim and April 19th are working on, is a future where we can begin to experience a quality of life in elder care that has not been done before. It does beg some interesting questions. How much money goes into elderly care? You know, if I were to put on my my um, finance hat, which I, I don't know anything about finance, so take this with a grain of salt, but I don't think that that community goes quietly. I think that the world of um, legacy drug design, the world of medicine, that the boomers are used to, I think that they fight tooth and nail to keep the ideas of the psychedelic medicine out of the hands of most people. I know it's sad to say, but think about how much healthcare, how much money goes into healthcare. Think about all these different old folks homes. And as for us, like we would love to see the people in these homes be in a position where they could take care of themselves. But I just and I, I hesitate to say this, but I think that the money built up in that industry doesn't go quietly. I think that there will be fights in court for it. I think that, um, you know, there'll be a lot of pushback on safety, especially. I think that safety will be the the uh, Trojan horse they try to fight with. But ultimately, the results should lead the way to healing. And if if the article produced by Adam Tapp and uh, April 19th in Spanner Magazine by Chelsea Rickson, if that article can continue to ring true and we can continue to hear more stories like this and we can continue to see the different types of healing that happens, I think that we are headed for a world that is not only more beautiful than you imagine, but more beautiful than you can imagine. It brightens up the potential future for the world of, of healthcare, for the world of aging for the world of learning, for the world of mentors. Imagine if if some of the people who are the oldest among us were able to keep their faculties longer, what they could do to teach people. It's almost like a rebirth. It's almost as if they're giving their life back so that they can give back more to the community. <clears throat> it does opening up interesting questions though. What about someone who's what about somebody who's on who's on uh, social security or has a pension? What if they live to be 140? Where does the money come from to do that? So it does open up these other questions, but I think it's exciting. And um, I think it's a great potential for the future. And I, I really think that the world we live in 
<laughs> I think that the world we live in. I just got a message from uh, Yachim, and he is having some hot spot troubles. And it's this is kind of funny because before we got started, we were having a quick uh, talk about technology and, and how you should always expect technology to fail when you're in the midst of recording something. And lo and behold, it happens. So let me just continue on with what I, I think you may see in the future. <clears throat> I think that the 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 struggle is real. I think that you are going to see better drug designs with AI. If we look at the way in which ChatGPT, OpenAI, all these different companies are beginning to use this AI software to rediscover what is possible, the next frontier has to be medicine. And Okay, I'm going to say something sad right here, but the state of medicine, even though we live in the 21st century, you know, we're beginning to see that a lot of the drugs we've had were no better than placebos. In fact, everybody understands the placebo effect. You give one person a pill and one person a sugar pill, and most of the times the placebo works just as good. So we're understanding that the power of the mind has the power to heal. But what happens when we're able to use the power of artificial intelligence? What happens when we can scrape the world of information for the best possible drug design, test out those drug designs with a similar AI system, and then take the best of the best and then begin trials with that? That should speed up the ability to make really change, to make real change real fast. We should be able to move years in advance using this kind of technology. Like I said, there will be a pushback when it comes to safety, in my opinion. But the future is is really bright. The future, even though we appear to be on the cusp of world war or financial collapse or choose your calamity, whatever fear porn that is being pushed your way, it is just that. It's just fear. And it's just being pushed at you because we are on the cusp of transcending the world we used to know. We are beginning to see the institutions that told us they know everything fail. We are beginning to see the world of authority crumble and the world of community beginning to be built all around us. And I would like to employ every one of you listening to this to do your best to become the very best that you can be. Live your best life now. And if that means walking away from something that you're not happy about, find the courage to do it and your family will be better and you'll be better and the life that you live will be better. Um, we'll get... We'll get I'll, I'll probably end it up here coming shortly. We're coming up on about 40 minutes. But I want to say that everyone should go check out um, check out Yachim, check out Yachim and his company April 19th. Uh, he's he's actually at an incredible spot right now in San Francisco, meeting with all these different founders. The world of psychedelic medicine is really moving forward, and there's a lot of interesting studies. There's a lot of interesting people. And if you're curious about any of this, you could reach out to me. Definitely reach out to April 19th, the company. Look and see what they're doing. Look in your community. What can you do to make the world a little bit better and understand that the psychedelic experience may be right for you? And if it is, you should explore it and explore the world you live in and try to make everyone around you better and know that the True Life Podcast is here for you. I love you guys. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. And uh, I'll probably, I'm going to be on a lot more with Yahim. So, Let's wish him well. I hope you're I hope you're good out there, buddy. We love you and thank you for doing what you're doing. Looking forward to seeing you on uh, Adam's podcast. And to everybody out there, I hope you have a fantastic day. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. 
Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.